To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, flee the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. The very last line at the end of that video comes from the very end of the book that we're studying here, 2 Timothy, where Paul says to young Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I've kept the faith. This is the very end of Paul's life. He knows that he's going to die. Execution is coming, uh, maybe even just days away. Paul gets the opportunity to pen a little bit of his own eulogy. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Have you ever thought about your eulogy? What it'd be like to maybe just sit in and watch your memorial? An opportunity for people to talk about your life, what they remember about you, the things that were significant. What would they talk about? Would they talk about your faith? What would they say? Would they say, he fought the good fight, she finished the race, he kept the faith? Because here's what's true, friends, you get to write your eulogy. In fact, you are writing it right now. Every day you get the opportunity to live your life in a way, to leave a legacy. What is it that people are going to say? But infinitely more important than that, what is Jesus going to say? I mean, we can, we can fool people in this life, but Jesus sees everything. He not only knows everything that you do, he knows why you do what you do. What is it that Jesus would say? Well, here's the Apostle Paul. Again, he's at the end of his life, but he's looking back and he's talking to young Timothy, who, God willing, has lots of his life ahead of him. And Paul wants more than anything for Timothy to be able to say what he was able to say. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I finished well. And Paul wants you to finish well. Paul wants me to finish well. Wherever we're at on our faith journey, what Paul wants us to know is it is going to take endurance. It is going to take some Serious, serious endurance to fight the good fight, finish the race, and keep the faith. How are we going to finish well? That is the overarching theme of this book. And today, as we delve into the very beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul's going to tell us three things. He's going to tell us the strength of the fight. What do we need 
for our strength in this fight? What do we need as our strategy of this fight? And what do we need to know about the struggle of this fight? First, let's talk about the strength of the fight. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1. This is Paul to young Timothy. He says, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What is Paul trying to communicate here? Timothy, be strong. I think sometimes there's a way that we read our English translations and we hear that, be strong, and it's like, come on, Timothy, step up. Get tough, suck it up. Just do it. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Come on, Timothy, you can do it. That is the exact opposite of what Paul wants to communicate to young Timothy. And here's how we know this. There's a word that Paul uses. There's a form of that verb, be strong, that Paul uses to help us understand that is the exact opposite of what he's trying to say. Now, I, I normally don't feel like I have to try to explain the Greek language and make you feel like, oh, I, my pastor went to seminary, he knows Greek, and so. But this is really, really important. The form that Paul uses, and I'm gonna use some English terms now, and anything that, I, I just cringe when it comes to talking about English. I mean, I just remember sitting back in high school in those English classes and the ACTs, the verbal port, it was just, that part was just awful. But I learned some things in seminary that help us understand what it is that Paul was trying to say here. Here's what I want you to hear. This verb, be strong, is in the passive voice. Now, when we're talking English, we're talking, there can be active voice, there can be passive voice. And the difference between those two is in an active voice, that means the subject is doing the action of the verb. In a passive voice, the subject is being acted upon. Very, very different. And that's why this is so important in this case. Because what Paul wants Timothy to understand is this strength, this be strong, is not something that Timothy is gonna go out and do. This is gonna be something that is done to him. Maybe even a better way to translate it would be, Timothy, be strengthened. Allow yourself to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul wants Timothy to know, Timothy, if you're gonna try to fight the good fight, you need to know that the strength is not found in you. The strength is found in who is in you. Timothy, receive the grace that only comes from Jesus and receive it continuously. And man, as we understand more of what is happening in Timothy's life, as he's trying to lead this church in Ephesus, we know that Timothy needed strength. These heretics and false teachers were rising up, challenging Timothy. And we talked last, or two weeks ago, we talked a little bit about Timothy's personality, timid, fearful, he's young. All these people are pounding against his life. He needs strength. And Paul's saying, Timothy, don't do anything to, in terms of trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Timothy, only God can do this in you. And Timothy, Christ is in you. 
You are united with Christ in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. Timothy, allow him to live his life through you in the power of the Holy Spirit. Timothy, that's where your strength comes from. It comes from the grace of Jesus, that free grace, Timothy, that saving grace, that saving grace that reached down and grabbed you and pulled you up into a relationship with Jesus that's gonna last forever, that empowering grace, that gifting grace, that spirit that's in you, that's giving you gifts to be able to do what God has called you to do. Timothy, that's where your resources are. It's not in you, it is in him. It's all about grace. Timothy, you don't have what it takes. And Paul wants him to know that there's nothing, there's nothing that he's gonna come up against as he tries to fight the fight of the faith that is gonna exceed God's grace. That's what Paul wants him to know. It's not about you, Timothy. It's about him in you and his grace. Paul understands something about God's grace. Because when we think about the Apostle Paul, before he was, before Paul was Paul, Paul was Saul. And Saul, when the early church was just getting launched, what Saul did, he arrested followers of Jesus. He persecuted followers of Jesus. He executed followers of Jesus. But then Paul had this encounter with the person of Jesus and the grace of Jesus on that road to Damascus when Jesus knocked him to the ground, blinded him, and asked him that question, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But then Jesus, in his grace, in his intimate grace, reached down and he pulled Paul up and he gave him a new life and not only a new life, he said to Paul, you are gonna be my instrument. Paul, I'm not only gonna rescue into a relationship with me, I'm gonna use you to take the greatest news ever announced to the ends of the Gentile world. Paul, I'm gonna use you. Paul experienced grace. Grace upon grace. And Paul never got over it, could never believe that Jesus would extend that kind of kindness to him. And that's why at the end of his life, and he's looking back on all that he's done, good and bad, all that God has done through him, he's saying, Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. But here's what you need to know about Paul. Grace was not an idea. Grace was not a concept. Grace was not a theory. Grace was a person. It was intimacy with a resurrected Jesus that changed his life forever. And Paul lived his life in incredible gratitude for what Jesus has done, and he never got over it. And that's why Paul would say, as he did in Chapter one, 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. He says, that is why I'm suffering as I am. He was willing to do anything for Jesus. Yet this is no cause for shame 
And here's what I want you to hear. Because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Let me read that phrase again. Because I know whom I have believed. See, for Paul, I'm gonna say it again, grace wasn't an idea. Grace was a person, and he met that grace in the person of Jesus. Paul didn't say, I know what I have believed. Did Paul know what he believed? Absolutely. Half of the books of the New Testament, Paul is telling us what he believed and what we need to believe. He knew that. But Paul also doesn't say, I know how I should behave. But we read the letters of Paul. He talks about how we live out the values of God's kingdom. He knew how to behave. But that isn't what changed his heart. It was a person, a personal encounter with Jesus. I know whom I have believed. In the very first message that I shared with you, I talked a little bit uh, about a study that Barna had done where they looked at young people from the ages of 18 to 30 over a, about a 10-year period. And in 2019, the study showed that almost two-thirds of those young people from 18 to 30, by the time they get to age 30, are no longer engaged in their faith. There's only one-third that are engaged in any way. And only a small percentage of those are engaged actively in their faith. Some of them are just people that they called habitual churchgoers. They're just going through the motions. They're still doing the thing because that's all I know to do. It's a cultural thing often for them. But there's a 10% of those that make it to 30. And he called them, in the study, they called them resilient disciples. People that were able to push through, to fight the good fight, to finish the race, to keep the faith. And there were two things in their research that marked the people that had that kind of faith. And one of them was experiencing intimacy with Jesus. They described Jesus in ways that he was a person to them. Not an idea. They engaged with him. They heard from him. They experienced him. They sensed his presence. They heard his voice. They talked to Jesus. They experienced intimacy with Jesus and they talked with him. There was one paragraph from that book related to this study that I just have to share with you because we've got to ask the question, how do we learn to experience that kind of intimacy with Jesus? If that's our desire, if that's what it's gonna take, to finish the race, to keep the faith? How do we do that? And their study said we do that together. We do that with one another. Here's a quote from their research. It said, in our qualitative interviews, we discovered that people don't learn to follow Jesus simply by having lots of great head knowledge about him. Although having the right beliefs matters, as we'll see, but here's the punchline. Experiencing Jesus is found along a relational pathway with family, friends, and other people who love and experience Jesus. We are loved into loving Jesus. I love that line. 
We are loved into loving Jesus. So this idea of experiencing intimacy with him, what we need to understand is God's means to bring that to our life, meaning the, the conduit of his grace to our life is people. We do this together if we're gonna experience intimacy with Jesus. I had a chance recently to talk with a buddy of mine and I love the, the title of our series, Strong. And this guy, he is the epitome of strong. This is one tough dude. He's one of those CrossFit Guys, I've only done that one time in my life, and there's a reason I did it one time in my life. It's awesome, but he is one of these hardcore CrossFit guys. And so last October, he gets this idea that for the whole month of October, every day of the month, he is gonna do a Murph. Does, does anybody even know what a Murph is? There's someone right there. Few people know what a Murph is. Here's what a Murph, when he started explaining this to me, I thought, you've got to be kidding me. This is a Murph. You start out with a one-mile run. I maybe could do that. Maybe. (laughs) The next thing that you do is 100 pull-ups. I do not think I could do one pull-up. 100 pull-ups followed by 200 push-ups followed by 300 squats. And then you finish it up with another mile run. And he said, oh, by the way, I do all of this with a 20 pound vest on. You gotta be kidding me, who would do that? He invited people to join him in his little sadistic little thing that he was doing in October. You know how many people joined him? Zero. Nobody wanted to do 31 days with him. He talked a little bit about kind of the range of times that it took him to do his Murph. And it was usually between like 45 minutes and an hour. And he said there were two days though, he said that I crushed my best times. And he said the first time was on my birthday. And he said someone came with me. They did it with me. And he said I couldn't believe I was just so much faster in my time. And he said, And my best time ever was my last day when there were a group of people that were with me and cheering me on and what I was doing. And he said, I learned something there. We need people. If we want to grow, if we want to maximize who God wants us to be, we need people. Now, this is an example in the physical. But these same principles hold true in our emotional life, our mental life our spiritual life. We need people. Why? Because that's how God made us. We are made to need people. We don't grow in this kind of intimacy that Paul's talking about here on our own. God himself exists in a relationship, in a community, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, eternally in relationship. And the scripture tells us that we are made in his image. We are relational beings. God has designed us to grow and to function in the context of relationships with other people. We need people if we're gonna grow. It's about people. The next verse, 2 Timothy 2.2, Paul goes on to say, if God's grace in experiencing intimacy 
with him is the strength of the fight. In verse two, he talks about the strategy of the fight. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy. He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. The principle that Paul is talking about in this verse is what we sometimes call spiritual multiplication. Or what does it actually look like for us to pass the baton of faith to the next generation? And just in this one verse, we see Paul unpacking four generations of disciples in here. Let's go back to the beginning. It always starts with Jesus. It was Jesus that poured his life into Paul, changed his life forever. But in this verse, Paul is saying to Timothy, and the things you have heard me say, so here's what we see. Paul spent a lot of his life investing in Timothy. And the things you have heard me say, Timothy, I've said all of it to you in the presence of many witnesses. It wasn't just Timothy. There were other people like Timothy that Paul was investing in. He said, just like I invested in you, here's what I want you to do. The things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to entrust that to reliable people. He's saying, Timothy, look around your life. Find some people in your life that you would say are reliable people that will take the things of the kingdom and run with them. Timothy, find those people and give everything to them. Invest your life and your time in them. Timothy, find reliable people. And he said there's a quality of these reliable people. He said they will be qualified to do what? Teach others. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about spiritual multiplication, investing in people. Paul, investing in Timothy. Timothy, investing in reliable people. And those reliable people, investing in others. And the implication being, who will teach others? Who will teach others? Who will teach others? Who will teach others? And we just keep going. Others, 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 till we get to who? Till we get to us. We are a part of this chain from the early church. Other people have invested in us. And Paul is saying, just like that, invest in other people. We have the baton. That is God's strategy. And we see that in the life of Jesus. He had a very, very public ministry, but the bulk of his time was spent with a small number of men and women that he invested deeply in their life because he knew they were gonna be the ones that were gonna carry on the church after he left. Find reliable people. People who are faithful, trustworthy with the things that we give to them. They will do something with it. People that are available. Availability is one of the biggest things that you need to look for in people that you would want to invest in. We are so busy. Nobody has time for anything, much less investing in the lives of people. The greatest ability that a person needs to have to be invested in is availability. 
See what I did right there? I thought that was really clever. Come on, work with me. But it is availability, and it's teachability. Are they humble? Are they hungry? When you give them something, do they grab a hold of it? Do they want to learn? Do they want to grow? Do they want to change? This is how the kingdom grows. It's multi-level marketing for Jesus. That's what it is. Investing in other people so that they can invest in others. But I want us to step back and ask the question, what is it that we want to invest into the lives of people? There's thousands of things, potentially, that we could say this is the most important thing for a person to have, to grow in their relationship with God. I wanna show you something that's gonna become a little bit more familiar to us around here over time. It's what we're gonna call our growth path. And what this growth path has on it is some things that we believe are just the basic fundamental things that a person needs to know and experience in order to live a transformed life. Now this isn't an exhaustive list, but I promise you this, if these things are true of your life and you're continuing to grow in these things, your life will change and the world around you will change. This is our growth path. The first thing that it talks about is our first step, or it's always asking the question, what is your next step? We're always gonna be asking you that and we're hoping that one day you'll just be asking yourself that and asking other people around you, what is your next step? For some people, even in this room right now or watching online, your next step is to choose to follow Jesus. You've never actually given your life to him. You've never actually thrown your life and your arms wide open and said, Jesus, my life belongs to you. I'm so grateful for what you did for me on the cross. I wanna accept what you've done for me, your payment for sin on my behalf. I wanna follow you with everything I've got. Some of you, that's your next step. Say yes to Jesus. And then Jesus invites us to be baptized, to go public with our faith, to identify our lives with our community and with the world that I'm with Jesus. My life is about him. Third thing, read the Bible. I've got to unpack that a little bit more because it's not just about opening up a book and letting your eyes go across the words. When I say reading the Bible, what I'm talking about is that we're listening to God. We believe that the word is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can change us. It can change our life and our heart. So when we open the scriptures, we're asking the question, God, what are you saying to me? And what do you want me to do about it? It's personal. It's intimate with Jesus. Hearing and responding to his word Pray regularly. I'm not just talking about saying prayers. We're also talking about listening. It's half of conversation. Yes, we say things to God. We pour out our heart to God, but we also listen because we need to hear what he has to say to us. Are we learning how to do that regularly in our life? Listen to the Holy Spirit when you become a follower of Jesus, when you say yes to him, one of the most beautiful things that happens is God sends his very presence to live within you. The indwelling Holy Spirit. And this Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. He wants to give us nudges. 
and, and promptings. Sometimes he wants to convict us because we're heading in a wrong direction and he wants us to move away from sin and move toward him. The Holy Spirit wants to speak in our life. Do we discern and know his voice? Can we listen to the Holy Spirit? Can we share our faith? God has done something amazing in us. Are we able to communicate the greatest news ever announced to another person? Can we help another person learn to follow Jesus? And we do that in the context of lots of things around our church. We do that in our gathering here. You see, one of the next steps for some people is just to gather, just to get here regularly. Come be with us. Be a part of what we're doing here. For some people, it's connect. That I need to get in a journey community. I need to get life on life with other people so that I can be transformed by them and experience their intimacy with Jesus in my life and vice versa. We do it together. For some people, it's serving. That we take the gifts that God's given us and we think, how do I, how do I love and care for the community around me? And we care for one another in that way. And we grow by giving in our generosity. We start our generosity journey. God, what does it look like for me to not only surrender my life, but surrender everything that you've given to me? God, what do you want me to do to, in terms of growing in my generosity? What is your next step? As you look at that growth path, every one of us, there's probably something, even as I said it, that just grabbed your attention. It kind of jumped off the page. And it's like, that's my next step. I need to grow in that. I need to learn about that. And that's what we want to do as a community of faith, is to continue to care for one another and shepherd one another to our next steps asking those questions of one another. What is your next step? It's really fun. I got a, a note from a friend, a text this week. Here's what she said. She said, hi, Pastor Bob. I wanted to tell you that tonight I went from rows to a circle. It was the Thriving 30s Women's Group. Isn't that a great name? The Thriving 30s Women's Group. I love it. And it was amazing. This is the first time I've been in a group since I have been to Journey. There's something truly special about the comfort I felt knowing that other women were in the same stage of life. Took that next step. Life is changing. As always, I want to thank you for your amazing sermons. I wrote that part. No, I, I didn't. Come on. Thank you for your amazing sermons and appreciate the nudge this year towards my next steps in the church. Looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. Hope you have a fantastic week. A little nudge. Taking the next step. Growing in our intimacy with Jesus. That's what changes a life. That's what changes a group. That's what changes a church taking the next step. What is your next step? As you can see, the strategy is people investing in people. But one of the problems is, is that not a lot of people are actually doing that. Not a lot of people are actually doing that. And that's why Paul in this next section that I'm gonna to read to you, 
He talks about the struggle of the fight. Because working with people is challenging. Here's what Paul says, why it's gonna be really hard and it's gonna take endurance. We need to understand the struggle. 2 Timothy chapter two, starting in verse three. He says, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer, first and foremost. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I am saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Paul gives us these pictures of endurance and tells us it's gonna take work. Talks about the soldier, talks about the athlete, talks about the farmer. Pictures of endurance. But I wanna go back to that very first phrase. Paul's invitation into this life of investing in people. Here's his invite. Join me in suffering. Not the best marketing tool out there, probably. If this is what you want to do to change the world, wouldn't you put a little more of a positive spin on it, Paul? But Paul's just being really honest. And honestly, friends, this is why a lot of people don't do it. It takes hard work. Paul says, join me in suffering. He doesn't say, get mad in suffering. He doesn't say, get frustrated in suffering. He doesn't say, quit in suffering. And he doesn't say, expect no suffering. He's just gut level honest. There's gonna be suffering. It's gonna take perseverance, but it's worth it. Because this is how we build the kingdom. Join me in it. Paul's gonna shoot straight with us. He's not gonna like, never ever does God promise that anything that he asks us to do is gonna be without suffering and hardship and endurance. But what he says, what he does promise is that I'll be with you. I'm not gonna abandon you. And I will sustain you in the midst of your suffering. Paul tells us that picture of a good soldier is one that doesn't get entangled in civilian affairs. He only wants to please his commanding officers. What is Paul talking about, civilian affairs? He doesn't say. But if he was in our world, I believe that he would say, it's all those things that make you too busy to do the things that Jesus is asking you to do. And I get the privilege of getting to give the best hours of my week to ministry. And it's still hard not to get entangled in all the things that our culture is throwing out before us. All these things that we wanna do, think we need to do. And I would say this, most of those things are not bad things, they're really good things. But what Paul is telling us is we've got to figure out what is the best thing. We've got to have some focus. We've got to have some discernment to put some other things on the shelf so that we can do what it is that Jesus is asking us 
to do because that was his strategy as well. He didn't get involved in the civilian things of life. He invested in people. How are you gonna invest in people? How are you gonna join Paul in suffering and endurance? I believe that if this is gonna become true in any individual life, and for sure in the context of a larger church, there's a word, friends, that I believe that we've got to embrace. And it's the word, whatever. Now, sometimes when you hear that word, whatever, it can kind of have some negative connotations to it. You can kind of think about a snotty young kid that's like, whatever. (laughs) That is not what I'm talking about. I did that too well, you're probably right. Maybe I've done that a time or two. Maybe I've had it done to me a time or two. But I don't think this is the posture of whatever that I'm talking about. It would be a posture that would say, my hands are like this, Jesus, whatever. What do you want me to do? Jesus, you are the commanding officer. I'll go anywhere you want me to do. I'll do anything that you want me to do. I will do whatever. I'll be whatever you want me to be for your sake and for your kingdom. Jesus, I'm holding up my life to you. My word to you, Jesus, is whatever. And when Jesus calls us to those things, we push aside the civilian affairs, things that are distracting us, causing us to lose our focus on the thing that matters most, the thing that matters for eternity Whatever. Johann Sebastian Bach. Um, you could argue that he was to classical music what someone like Sir Isaac Newton was to physics or William Shakespeare was to English literature. The dude was the goat, the greatest of all time, some would argue. Now, some of you are like, oh, come on, dude, classical music. I don't even know any classical music. I would almost guarantee you that if we started playing right now, Jesus, joy of man's desiring, it would instantly bring back memories to you. Likely a wedding. 400 years after his life, that song is played as brides come in to their wedding over and over again. But an interesting thing about Bach, whenever he sat down, to start one of his original scores, he would write two letters at the top of the page. J, period, J, period. It stood for Jesu Juva. It was a prayer. Probably the most simple prayer that a person could pray. Jesus, help me. Bach understood what Paul's talking about here. He understood that the strength of our life, the strength of the fight is in the grace of Jesus. Jesus, help me. But then when he finished a composition, in the margins and on the bottom, he would write these letters, S, D, G. Soli, Deo, Gloria. To God alone, be the glory. Everything in his life was about the commanding 
officer. He did whatever. He wanted to be an instrument in the hands of his Savior. And he wanted to use that to write every original score. Your life is an original score. Nobody can be who God created you to be. Nobody can do the things that God created you to do. Nobody can build the kingdom the way God has made you to build the kingdom for his glory. You are an original score. But it's not about what you do. It's about what he does through you. SDG, soli, Deo, Gloria. Why do you do what you do? Why are you engaged in the things that you're engaged in? Whose glory are you doing it for? Because there will be a day, just like the Apostle Paul, when we are at the end of our life, and the next person that we're gonna see is Jesus. Are you trying to live, friends, for his applause? Do you have an audience of one? Do you want the people around you to be the ones that are clapping? Or do you want the nail-scarred hands of Jesus to be the ones that welcomes you home and says, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for being willing to say whatever and make me your commanding officer. That, friends, is what's going to change the world. As we pray, I just had this picture yesterday as I was imagining closing our gathering together, so I'm going to ask you to do something that's a little bit different than we normally do. I just want to ask you to stand up as we pray. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to just hold out your hands like this. In a posture that just says, Jesus, whatever. I'll do whatever it is that you're asking me to do. And I'll admit, Jesus is way more concerned about the posture of your heart than he is about the posture of your hands. But can we just put our hands this time in a posture that is trying the best that we can to communicate, Jesus, I will do whatever. Jesus, we hold up our life today. You are our king. You are our commanding officer. We lean on nothing but your grace. Our only strength in this life is your grace, and we put our full weight on it. And with our feet firmly planted in your grace, we say to you, Jesus, whatever, Whatever you want me to do, how do you want me to move ahead, Jesus? What is my next step? Jesus, if it's moving into a journey community to be around people that have an authentic relationship with Jesus that I can love and can love me and I can feel known by them and loved by them, then Jesus, my answer is yes. Jesus, I'll serve anywhere around this church. High school students, middle school students, base camp kids, 
Jesus, if you want me to look into the eyes of young people so that they know that they're known and loved, I say, yes, I will do whatever. Jesus, thank you that you were willing to go to such great lengths to bring your grace to us. And we say, thank you. And our praise back to you is just to simply say, whatever. You're our king. It's your powerful name that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. As we wrap up here, uh, last week when Brandon was worshiping, there was a song that he sang, and I just said, Brandon, I don't know what you have scheduled, but could we close with that one? I feel like we've got to close with that one this week. There's a line in here that we just got to grab a hold of because it's the heart of Paul. It's the heart of the kingdom. It's simply this. Take courage. Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. Maybe even thinking be strengthened. Take courage. Hold on. Be strong. Remember where your help comes from. From the grace of God and only the grace of God. Let's worship together. Thanks for engaging with this content. If it was encouraging to you, we'd love for you to leave a review. Hit that subscribe button and share this content with others. We'd also love to connect with you. The best place to do that is journeyweb.net. Don't forget to follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Just search Journey Church Bozeman and you'll find us there. If you'd like to give to our ministry, you can do that now at journeyweb.net slash give. Once again, thanks for engaging with Journey Church.